This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 143, submission number 086. The Golden Palace. The Golden Palace aired on CBS from September 18th, 1992 to May 7th, 1993 for 24 episodes. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. So, so I, I think the first thing we need to mention is that was a very familiar theme song, but not in the way that we remember it. That was a lot closer to the original Andrew Gold version. Yeah, but at least they kept the same or similar song in there. They, you know, it's the same song. It's just obviously slightly different uh, in some capacity. Yep. Yeah. And this would be a different show in a slightly different capacity well yeah would this technically be considered a spin-off or would it be a continuation of the golden girls since really it's not spinning off to a single character or a minor character it's it's the golden girls but now you're down dorothy zabornak well this would be one of the uh first known sequel series not unlike archie bunker's place yeah, I think a sequel series works pretty well in this instance, Chico. That works really well because Archie Bunker was essentially Archie Bunker, except he owned a bar and, and Edith had died. Yeah. And everybody uh, had, had moved on except for little Stephanie, basically. Well, actually, little Stephanie did move on. She was part of the new Radicals with Greg Alexander in the 90s. And not only that, but they recently performed at Joe Biden's inauguration. Nice. So with Dorothy having just gotten remarried, that where does that leave the other three golden girls? Rose Nyland, Sophia Petrillo, and Blanche Devereaux. Because they can't they can't stay in the in the house anymore. They sold it. Yeah, they did. They sold it and they moved on. Yeah, you even saw them moving out uh, early in the, the pilot episode. So what are three golden girls to do? Are you ready for this? Find a rundown but not derelict hotel and move in. And also buy a share of it. Oh! But here's the thing, though. Because the Golden Girls was a Saturday Night Success on NBC. Probably the last of the Saturday Night Successes on NBC. This show would not only jump to Friday night... It would jump to another network. It would be on CBS. It was going to try to take the crowd from ABC's TGIF. Good luck with that. Yeah. How can I put this delicately? 
that was not a smart thing to do. Look, America loves Betty White, but in 1992, America was still in the grips of Urkel fever at this time. Yes. Yeah, America liked its Urkel. It wasn't originally supposed to be the case that CBS got the show. Because NBC chief Warren Littlefield was committed to Golden Palace, running 13 episodes on a Saturday. But CBS, in a bit of a coup, decided to make a play for it. Because NBC only committed to 13 episodes, CBS came and said, we'll give you 24 episodes. We'll give you one full season. NBC was not willing to buy into that because of the declining ratings from the seventh season of The Golden Girls. So the producers, Paul Jungerwit, Tony Thomas, and Susan Harris, decided to sign with CBS and agreed to market the hell out of The Golden Palace as a show with its own voice separate from The Golden Girls. That would be mistake number two of this episode. So we talked about CBS wanting to counter-program against TGIF. They put Golden Palace on with Major Dad, Designing Women, and Bob. Oh yes, future installment Bob. Oh, we're going to talk about Bob in the future because that's an installment. That that yep. was basically Bob Newhart after Newhart. Yeah, and it wasn't good at all. Nope. I've got it on DVD. I'm going to watch it one day. Oh, good. Then we could actually review it. It's like as soon as Mike watches it, he's going to find a place on the schedule for it. Expect it sometime around 2024. Guaranteed. Anyway, we talked about how the three remaining Golden Girls decided to move into a hotel, but it's only down to two employees. That would be the chef, Chewy Castillos, and the manager slash maitre d', Roland Wilson. There actually was a third employee mentioned in the pilot, which was a part-time maid, but we'd never see the part-time maid. Oh. So yeah, to say this hotel was struggling would be a bit of an understatement. Yep. How that happens, we'll never know. But well, well no, they mentioned that in the pilot too. Oh, really? <laughs> What, did you watch the show? Apparently not. <laughs> no. Well, well, no. It, it's mentioned in the pilot that pretty much the three Golden Girls, for lack of a better phrase, they were sold a um, they were sold uh, on a hotel that uh, wasn't exactly what it was. The uh, previous management really just like did not know upkeep on the hotel especially in terms of keeping employees around. They had very few customers or hotel guests, uh, I, I think would be best to say there. It was in financial r- ruins, essentially. And actually, even in the first episode, there's questioning whether payroll can be met uh, the first week that the girls own the hotel. Yeah, the term run into the ground comes to mind. Yeah, run, run into the ground, but also the deal was more or less a bait and switch. They were promised a good hotel, a secure hotel, one that has uh, enough assets and, and uh, value to, to last a while. 
And instead, it's a hotel that really is days away from closing because of financial ruin. Yeah. And it doesn't help in the pilot episode that uh, Chewie, the, the chef, leaves the job, but comes back and, and accepts his job after a dispute with uh, Sophia regarding uh, the, the type of cuisine that he's uh, going to make in his restaurant. He, he is clearly Mexican, Hispanic or that's the cuisine he's going to make. And Sophia, obviously, knowing her heritage, we're making Italian. And he leaves right there on the spot because of that difference. But ultimately, because this is a sitcom, everything works out in the end. It does. I mean, it's not terribly much of a deviation from the Golden Girls itself. I mean, we, we heard this pretty much the same theme song. The comedy is still there. It's it's pretty much the same thing, except they're not uh, in this, the house anymore. That They're at a hotel, and obviously Dorothy's gone. So it's three-quarters of the Golden Girls. And it seems like with that shift came a shift in characters. Like, for example, Betty White's Rose Nyland is remembered as the ditz with this childlike innocence. In Golden Palace, she is pretty much a headstrong Jill of all trades in the hotel. It's like, you name it, she does it. She still has some of the Rosen Island, but it's a deceptive Rosen Island. She wants people to think that she's naive or gullible. And in the end, she's actually makes a number of the good decisions for the hotel. It's like she made him or did she fall into him like Ace Crawford last week? I don't know. Did she fall off the docket after every episode? No. Okay. And then you have uh, Rue McClanahan's Blanche Devereaux, who we all remember uh, as a uh, she was a working girl, except she didn't work much. But here it was sort of toned down it was it's like playful flirtatious rather than incredibly flirtatious yeah they really toned down on the promiscuity jokes yeah and then you have sophia and this is a classic case of real life writing the script because by this time estelle getty would have uh, uh, signs of early onset senile dementia in fact, according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, other members of the cast had noticed Estelle Getty's increased difficulty in remembering lines and relying on cue cards during the series, and toward the end of the previous one, she would not be formally diagnosed with dementia until 2000. And I wonder, they actually mentioned it again in the pilot episode, her age, and she was, at least according to the show, 88 years old. Yep. 87, 88 I don't know. Now that you mentioned the dementia, it's uh, almost falls into place. It's, it's sort of the dominoes are falling in place. Yeah. But remember, Estelle uh, Getty, Getty was much younger than the role she played. No, no, I know that. I know that. But I wonder if possibly the, the dementia played their hand and they revealed her age for, for some reason, po maybe to make a, a, a true to life connection potentially. potentially but I know. Yes. But I know she was definitely much younger than 88, for sure. Now, she was at least in her mid-60s. At least. And then you have the uh, two remaining employees of the Golden Palace. Uh, first was the chef Chuy Castillos, played by 
Cheech Marin in his other great role. Yes. And, and actually, Greg, do you have something you want to share about who uh, Cheech Marin beat for that role? Oh, yes, because this was recently discussed on Conan, which we'll bring up later. A young Andy Richter auditioned for the role Cheech Marin played on Golden Palace. Yeah, that was like one of his first auditions when he got to Los Angeles. And also a year before Andy got the job as Conan's sidekick on Late Night. Uh-huh. And, and in addition, a British comedian by the name of Alexi Sale was originally hired to be the chef who was supposed to be Eastern European. But uh, for some reason, he was replaced with Cheech's character being played as a Mexican. Well, that probably explains why Andy was auditioning for the role. Perhaps. And the second employee, Greg. Yeah? You want to talk about the second employee? Roland Wilson, hotel manager, the voice of the audience, the voice of sanity. Who played him? Who played him? Well, you might know him best today as James Rohde. The star of the upcoming Disney Plus series, Armor Wars, the legendary Don Cheadle. Colonel James Rhodey Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, a.k.a. my brother's favorite Avenger. Hey, Don Cheadle, he's done some great things. He's won an Oscar since this show, but we don't care. To us, he is Colonel James Rhodey, and that's how it is. Yes. Oh, he is also... The big bad in the upcoming theatrical slash HBO Max movie, Space Jam, A New Legacy. Pick your bloody jaw up off the ground, people. Yeah, who would have thought he'd be the Ongo Gablogi in the Space Jam 2? Looks good, Greg. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. Looks oh, good. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. Oh, it 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 looks good. Looks really good. Looks good. And rounding out the cast is a young actor by the name of Billy L. Sullivan, who plays Oliver Webb, the foster child for Roland, who is actually only in seven of the episodes. He was in the first six episodes, and then he came back in episode 14 to be claimed by his birth mother, who was played by Jolie Fisher. Of course, Jolie Fisher, later of Ellen, and best known as the younger sister of Carrie Fisher. Yes. So, now you know who's in the Golden Palace, but do you know who stayed there? I don't know either. We could talk about it, though. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, episode one, The Golden Palace. Blanche, Rose, and Sophia sell their Miami house and purchase the Golden Palace, a hotel in the city. A women meet hotel manager Roland, his foster child Oliver, and hotel chef Chewy Castillos. The women learn that the previous owners had fired much of the staff to make the hotel appear profitable, and the hotel has no money to hire new employees. Furthermore, the ladies have only one week to make the hotel's banknote payment, which is dependent on satisfying a group of travel agents booked for the hotel. Sophia and Rose are upset that Blanche for getting them into the situation, but Blanche convinces them that they can operate the hotel and make the business a success. Chewie wants to continue serving Mexican food at the hotel, while Sophia wants to start serving Italian food instead. Chewie crits in frustration, but later asks for his job back, as he and Sophia agree to work together. The women manage to get through the week after hosting the travel agents, making enough money to keep the hotel for another month and hire more staff. Because, again, remember... 
there was a part-time maid there and, and we never see the maid or hear about the maid doing the, uh, the, the, the sheets or cleaning the rooms or whatnot. And that sort of is a test that's given to Rose Nyland uh, in this episode, or at least in future episodes. Episode two, promotional considerations. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Rose makes a deal with the producer of a talk show to have a guest at the program stay at the Golden Palace for free in exchange for an ad acknowledging the hotel. However, they learn that the program will be focusing on murderers who are set free, which includes their new hotel guest, Gordon M. Kose, played by Bobcat Goldthwait. Blanche, Rose, and the other hotel employees are nervous about having Kose stay at the hotel, and they try to keep him happy as he is easily upset and frequently yells. Yeah, but there's a twist at the end. It's revealed that Bobcat Goldthwait's character actually is a doctor, not a murderer, but a doctor on the show, like a, one of the psychoanalysis doctors saying, you know, wh- why the murderers do what they do. And also, it's very funny. There's actually two things I want to mention about this talk show. First, in uh, the final credits, unlike the Golden Girls, this one usually has some added ending with the credits overlaid on top of the action going on. And what was happening there was a little joke about and on the next talk show whatever the name of the show was i forget the name we're going to be talking about bedwetters to which rose is like nope i'm done i i know we're we're not going to be promoting our hotel here anymore if they're going to be getting murders and bedwetters in our hotel and i should say adult bedwetters not children yeah because remember remember rose was doing some of the maid duty at this time so she had to change the sheet she's like "Uh uh-uh nope But another thing I want to mention, and this is directly related to Golden Girls itself, the theme to the talk show. They actually play the theme music or or this music when the the talk show's happening. Do you guys remember the episode of Golden Girls called Grab That Dough with Jim McCrell? Yes, I do. The theme music from Grab That Dough was the theme music to the talk show. Wow. Yeah, you've heard it. I'm sure I can plug it in. But that was something I noticed when I watched this episode. It's the grab that dough music. I wanted to start using my meat hooks to grab some money. Oh, but beat the clock would have been would have been on the air for another ten years, Mike. Ah, true. But you know, Dorothy had those meat hooks, and she was gonna make a ton of money with them. Oh, totally. Episode three, Miles. We hardly knew ye. While looking through the hotel guest book, Blanche discovers that Rose's boyfriend, Miles Weber, was a frequent guest at the Golden Palace until the ladies purchased it. As Miles has frequently been canceling his dates with Rose lately, Blanche concludes that he's been cheating on Rose. Later, Rose confronts Miles and ends their relationship before he can explain himself. However, Roland clarifies that Miles Weber, who frequents the hotel, was a different man and not Rose's boyfriend which causes tensions between Rose and Blanche. Miles and Rose reconcile, repeatedly from what I understand, although he has recently fallen in love with another woman, a waitress named Fern. Not wanting to ruin Rose's friendship with Blanche, Miles decides to tell Rose about Fern, revealing that Blanche happened to be right about him. Although Miles still loves Rose too, she decides to break up with him and later reconciles with Blanche. Meanwhile, Sophia discovers that Oliver has been charging guests who want to retrieve their missing items 
from the hotels lost and bound. Oh, that Oliver. By the way, Harold Gould plays Miles. The, the legendary Harold Gould, we should say. Martin Morgenstern from Rhoda. Uh, also in that episode, playing Lost and Found Woman is Mary Pat Gleason. And you sort of know her as that woman from that TV show from the late 80s through uh, pretty much uh, nowadays. A ton of credits on her record. Yeah, just some of them that I'm looking at. She was in Desperate Housewives. And she was on an episode of Family Matters. She was on ER, the good series, the NBC series with Georgia Clooney. She was on Coach Blossom. Again, a ton of of, um, of uh, appearances on shows throughout the years. And actually, she appeared on two episodes of previous installment, Davis Rules. And she made two appearances on Night Court. So there's our tie into Night Court. Episode four, What Old Lady to Go. Rose befriends a disoriented elderly woman named Vivian, played by Anne Haney, known as Alberta Meacham from Mama's Family, who is lost to believes that Rose is her daughter Charlene. Rose lets Vivian stay at the Golden Palace, ignoring advice to contact the police. For the past six years, Rose has regretted putting her own mother in a retirement home, and she feels she can now make up for it by not letting Vivian wind up in a police shelter, as Vivian reminds Rose of her mother. Meanwhile, a new Chinese restaurant, also called the Golden Palace, has opened in Miami, causing confusion between the two businesses. Sophia takes advantage of this by accepting food orders from people who mistakenly contact the hotel. Chewie hires a friend, a woman named Dr. Fogg, played by Margaret Cho, to help prepare the food, which is then delivered by Oliver. Roland discovers the scheme and forces the group to give their earnings to the real Golden Palace restaurant. Roland and Blanche also convince Rose to contact the police to help locate Vivian's family. When the police arrive at the hotel, they initially take Sophia by mistake, believing she is Vivian. Eventually, Vivian is reunited with her daughter, Charlene, who's played by Annie O'Donnell. I have no idea who she is. And meanwhile, in the C-plot, Roland is hesitant to have a talk with Oliver about going through the change, let's say. You know, the change relations. Oh, that change. Yeah. You know, it's like what every father dreads having to talk with his son, and Roland and Oliver are no exception. Are you ready for your Star Trek The Next Generation connection? She was Rashad Uxbridge in The Survivors about a group of colonists uh, inhabiting a colony where all but two of the uh, inhabitants have been killed by an attacker. And she's one of the survivors who refuses to be rescued. Go figure. Episode 5, Ebb Tide for the Defense. The hotel's insurance company declines to renew its policy following a mishap in which Rose covered the hotel pool while unaware that people were still in it. Yep, that sounds like something she would do. The hotel is hosting a convention of lawyers, and Rose has booked the remaining rooms for a group of judges from Jacksonville, Florida. Because Rose has accidentally overbooked the hotel, she, Blanche, and Sophia agree to share a room, while Roland, Chewie, and Oliver share another. They also convince one of the lawyers, Mr. Burroughs, played by Steve Hitner, another that guy from that thing, to share a room with one of the judges. 
However, the hotel employees realize that the judges of Jacksonville are actually a biker group. And Burroughs threatens legal action if anything should happen to him while he's staying with his roommate, a biker named Angel, played by Christopher Collins, who voiced Mo and Mr. Burns on the first season of The Simpsons. I think also uh, we should mention that the use of the word ebb tide is not unusual within Golden Girls canon because during the Golden Girls series, there were at least two, maybe even three episodes previously that had to do with ebb tide. Ah. Yeah, so they, uh, I think that, that was a continuation on that trend. Uh, obviously, they didn't have terribly good luck dealing with the ebb tides. No. Meanwhile, in the B-plot, the hotel hires a second chef named Ruben, played by the late, great Gregory Sierra, the man who had sex with Chewie's now-estranged wife. Hello. Chewie and Ruben have been best friends since childhood, and Chewie eventually forgives Ruben. Episode 6, Can't Stand Losing You. Rose believes that Roland is lonely and should have a girlfriend, and she convinced Blanche to compete with her in finding a woman for him. Rose finds a woman named Joanne, who Roland likes. Joanne, by the way, is played by Monica Allison, who played Hazel Gordy in future entry The Jacksons and American Dream. Lovely lady, this Monica Allison. Blanche learns that Roland had an ex-girlfriend named Trisha and decides to have her fly to Miami to see him, thinking that Roland still likes Trisha. Playing Trisha is... Kim Fields. Tootie! Yeah, this was like a year or two before Living Single, by the way, so... Yeah, I was going to say, this would be uh, like a year or two before Living Single, because that would have been 93, 94? Yeah. However, Blanche learns that Trisha is overly affectionate and obsessed with Roland, who had lied to Trisha about moving elsewhere to become a priest in order to end their relationship. Roland eventually tells Trisha the truth, that he is not in love with her, and she accepts it. Meanwhile, Sophia is upset that Chewie is chosen instead of her to go on a television program for a cooking segment. Because of course she is. Alright, okay. Are you guys ready for this? Oh yeah, bring it on. This one's a good one. This is a good one. Episode 7, Seems Like Old Times, Part 1. Dorothy visits the Golden Palace for the first time and reunites with Blanche, Rose, and Sophia after four months. Dorothy is shocked at how hard Sophia is working at the hotel, although Sophia does not consider this to be an issue. Dorothy contacts her husband, Lucas, and decides that Sophia should come to live with them in Atlanta. She believes Blanche and Rose are overworking Sophia, who is left to choose between staying at the Golden Palace or moving to Atlanta with Dorothy. Unable to choose between her daughter and the two women she thinks of as daughters, Sophia takes her belongings and runs away from the hotel. Meanwhile, Chewie is initially excited to finalize his divorce with his wife after eight years, but he feels lonely afterwards, so Roland encourages him to become dating. During a drunken night, Chewie marries a woman named Beverly and buys her a new car. Chewie, wanting to make the marriage work, rejects his friend's concerns that he and Beverly barely know each other. Okay, obviously... We know who played Dorothy. And actually, she goes by a new last name in this episode. It's Dorothy Hollingsworth, not Dorothy Zabornak. And obviously, we know that B. Arthur plays her. But there's another person that I think we need to mention. 
And yep. we've talked about him. We talked about him on When Things Were Rotten. And he just played a dining room guest. But lo and behold, who is it? Henry Pollock II. Well, the one from Webster, the one from Double Talk. Oh, yeah. Future installment Double Talk, by the way. And also remember that Henry Pollock II was one of Betty White's teammates on that Week of Family Feud episodes from 1984 against Carol Burnett and her family. Yep. Also oh, played yes. Mr. Yes, yes, yes. Also played Mr. Bainbridge, the drama coach, on Saved by the Bell. Oh, yeah. I forgot that Henry Pog II was on Saved by the Bell. Yep. But you know what? I bet Henry Pog II didn't go to Harvard. Harvard. Oh, and that- if you think that, that, that that episode has a lot of guest stars, well, I mean, we only mentioned two. Wait till the next episode. Yep. Which is part be- two. Yep, part two. Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy search for Sophia throughout Miami. They learn from a cab driver that Sophia asks to be dropped off at Shady Pines, the retirement home that she had despised. Upon arriving there, the ladies are surprised to see how nice Shady Pines has become since it was rebuilt following the fire. Despite the amenities, the ladies convince Sophia to return to the hotel, where she ultimately decides to stay rather than move with Dorothy to Atlanta. Sophia wants to remain active at the hotel, as she felt old when she was being cared for at Shady Pines. Dorothy accepts her decision. Meanwhile, Chewie's upset that Beverly will not have sex with him yet. Ooh! And his work suffers as a result of his unhappiness. A man named Ramon, played by Miguel Sandoval, not even the biggest name on this show, Visits the Golden Palace to congratulate Chewie on his marriage to Beverly, whom Ramon loves. Ramon vows to kill Chewie if he mistreats Beverly. Upon learning of this, Beverly realizes that Ramon loves her. Beverly tells Chewie Jilly married him to make Ramon jealous and that they were not really married, as their priest was actually a men's room attendant. Chewie is happy to have the relationship ended as he realizes he does not love Beverly. And remember what I said, Miguel Sandoval, big name, but not even the biggest name on this episode. I, I wouldn't even say he's the second biggest name. I'd say he's the third biggest name. Yeah. Uh, Carol Leaper would be the second biggest name. Well, actually, it would be a tie for the first biggest name because there is a bigger name on this episode. Oh, oh, no, this is the biggest name maybe in the entire series, even bigger than Don Cheadle. Playing the taxi driver. A young gentleman by the name of Jack Black. I'm looking for the manager. <gasps> that purse, where'd you get that purse? Yeah, some old lady left it in the back of my cab this morning. Looks like Mars. see. Bingo cards. Brass knuckles, pocket edition of 101 jokes for the John. Yes, this is Mars. Where did you take her? Well, got the log sheet right here. Let me check. Let's see. Picked her up, Golden Palace 705. Dropped her off at a place called Shady Pines. That Jack Black. Oh, yeah. By the way... This is the only time that we ever see the inside of Shady Pines. Oh, wow. The only time in eight years of the franchise that we ever see the inside of Shady Pines. 
By the way, guys, since we mentioned Jack Black was on this episode of Golden Pals, you do know that his Tenacious D bandmate, Kyle Gass, was a contestant on Sale of the Century, right? Yeah, we know that because I think I've mentioned that in the past. And you know who else was a contestant on Sale of the Century? Chip Aston? Yes. And I, I gather, based on a certain Facebook post, he was on tonight's episode. Oh, yes, the episode that's airing on Buzzer tonight as we're recording this. Thank you, Adam. Shout out to Adam Needham. Episode 9, Just a Gigolo. Blanche is attracted to a handsome man, Nick DiCarlo, who's been staying at the hotel. By the way, Nick DiCarlo, played by Barry Bostwick. However, she loses interest when she learns, or she learns he is a gigolo. Oh no! When Nick is unable to pay his hotel bill, Blanche agrees to let him work it off in the kitchen with Chewy. Following the death of Blanche's blind date, she accepts Nick's offer to accompany her to a dance despite his occupation. Blanche and Nick fall in love with each other, convincing him to end his line of work. After Nick works off his hotel bill, he decides to return to his hometown in Indiana to work at his brother's hardware store. Blanche convinces him to stay at the hotel by financially supporting him, despite him saying he's uncomfortable with her doing so. Nick eventually decides to return to Indiana to work for his brother, then he returns to Blanche when he saved up enough money to support her. Blanche agrees to write him a check to help him get settled in Indiana. However, Rose researches Nick and learns he's a con artist! Uh-oh! He's a con artist. And his hometown does not exist. Well, that should have been the first tip-off right there. Yep. She forces Nick to give this check back to Blanche while not revealing he was using her so as not to upset her. Meanwhile, Vincent Vale, who was played by Phil Proctor, by the way, holds a self-help seminar at the hotel. Chewie and Roland participate in the seminar, which includes walking over hot coals. Anybody can do that. The science is not exactly as indirect as you think it is. Episode 10, Marriage on the Rocks, with a twist. Roland's parents, George and Louise Wilson, played by Bruce Young and Jeanette Dubois, visit the hotel with the announcement that they are getting a divorce. Blanche tries to mediate problems between them, but is unsuccessful as they've been unhappy with each other for the past 20 years. Roland accepts that his parents want to move on with their lives. Meanwhile, the hotel hosts local radio disc jockeys, Bill and Milton, for a comedy night. By the way, Bill and Milton, are played by Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Of course, we talked about Tim Conway last week and Harvey Corman. Did we ever we, talk about Harvey? Yeah, we did. We talked about Harvey in the Nut House. So, known commodities. Isn't it funny that we covered a show in the past about Harvey Corman running a hotel and now he's in an episode of a show involving the Golden Girls running a hotel? Yep. And Sophia wants them to pull one of their pranks on Rose. She's stupid enough to believe it. So Milton's locked in a tank of water, and Rose must answer Bill's various questions in order to have Milton released before he drowns. Rose is too late, and Milton is said to have drowned. When Milton comes to the hotel dressed as a ghost to scare Rose, she shoots him to Sophia's horror. Welcome to Florida, everybody! Rose and the other hotel employees then reveal to Sophia that she is the true target of the prank and Milton is alive and well. 
comedians believed that Sophia was deserving of a practical joke as they considered her to be vindictive after she suggested the prank to them. Episode 11. Camp Town races aren't nearly as much fun as they used to be. Blanche has booked the hotel for a group of Southern women known as the Daughters of the Traditional South. You know where we're going with this, folks. Roland, as a black man, objects to the group staying there as he believes that they are bigoted toward black people. You know where we're going with this, folks. Roland further objects to a Confederate flag that Blanche has hung in the front desk to welcome the group. You know where we're going with this, folks. Roland views the flag as a symbol of prejudice towards black people, but Blanche tells him that the flag was her grandfather's and that it represents only good family memories for her growing up in the South. Are you ready for this? Roland quits his job. Although she eventually realizes that he was right about it, that her memories are not as happy as she thought. They reconcile, and Roland stays at the hotel. Meanwhile, a couple checks in to the hotel under the name Mr. and Mrs. Smith, although Rose realizes the man used an alias and is cheating on his wife. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, played by Camille Amin and Charles Napier from The Critic. You know, The Critic. Huh? We talked about it already. Yep. Yeah. Rose dislikes the idea of people staying at the hotel solely for relations, but Blanche and Roland tell her that it's not their job to judge the guests. Nevertheless, Rose repeatedly annoys the Smiths enough to check out. There's one name I think we need to add. And it appears there were three Mr. Smiths in this episode. Because this person was Mr. Smith number three. And, and honestly, I can't say enough about this guy. This guy, you may not know the name, but uh, you'll know the roles that he did. Joe Alasky. Yep. I mean, wh- wh- where should we start? We we should start probably with uh, Out of This World. He was Bino. Mm-hmm. Bino on Out of This World. Yeah, he, he was Bino. the crazy neighbor on Couch Potatoes. Yeah, he, he was, was the announcer on Couch Potatoes. Yeah. He was Plucky Duck on Tiny Toons. That, that's the big one. He's Plucky Frigging Duck on Tiny Toons. That's all you need to say. Uh, but also, as I've shared with Greg and Chico in the past, he was doing voiceover work uh, near the end of his career. Unfortunately, he passed uh, a little over five years ago. But you can hear his voice every now and then because he's a narrator on ID series or Discovery ID, which is what it used to be called, called Murder Comes to Town. And every now and then, uh, ID shows reruns of Murder Comes to Town with, with Joel Lasky narrating. So multi-talented, to say the least. Yep. Episode 12. It's beginning to look a lot less like Christmas. During Christmas time, the Golden Palace has booked a therapist, Dr. Norman Charles, played by Nick Toth, and a seminar group of recently divorced patients who are traumatized by Christmas. Charles intends to help his patients get over their bad memories by having them stay in a Christmas-free environment, so Roland and the ladies reluctantly remove all Christmas decorations from the hotel to accommodate them. Chewie is pleased by this as he has several bad Christmas memories. Later, Chewie has a dream in which the ladies appear to him as ghosts who teach him the joys of Christmas. Rose is the ghost of Christmas past. Blanche is the ghost of Christmas presents. Not Christmas present. Christmas presents. Uh Yeah. And Sophia is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Upon waking up, Chewie realizes how much he loves Christmas and he manages to convince 
Charles's patience at the holidays. Not bad. Episode 13, Rose and Fern. <laughs> Remember Fern and Miles? They're back. And of course, Fern in this episode is played by Nanette Fabre. And if you don't know who Nanette Fabre is, what podcast are you even listening to? Miles keeps calling the hotel and leaving messages for Rose, leading her to believe he wants to get back together. Meanwhile, a woman named Fern decides to have her wedding at the hotel, and Rose agrees to help plan it. Rose and Fern bond while planning a cow-themed wedding, although Rose later learns that Fern is marrying Miles. At Rose's insistence, Miles and Fern still have their wedding at the hotel, as Rose wants to see Miles get married so she can have the closure necessary to move on with her life. Meanwhile, Roland and Blanche learn someone has been stealing money from the hotel. Rose, Sophia, and Chewie are interrogated, but Roland utterly realizes that Blanche is the culprit. Roland tells Blanche that the hotel's revenue is not her personal money to spend, and what she's been doing is considered embezzlement. Da, da, da. Amazingly enough, Blanche does not get in trouble for it. Wow. And next is the sort of wham episode. Are you ready for this? Because for the first six episodes, we've seen Oliver, and then he sort of disappeared after episode seven. Well, in Runaways, he returns, he wants to see a wrestling show, and Sophia wants to borrow the car to go downtown. Both of them are denied. They steal a guest car, and in comes Oliver's mother, Paula Webb, played by Jolie Fisher, after getting out of rehab and is ready to take back her son. Roland tells her that Oliver is busy spending time with one of his foster grandmas. Oliver and Sophia are pulled over by a police officer for driving too slow. They return to the hotel, and Oliver goes home with Paula. Meanwhile, the Golden Palace is hosting a 16th birthday party for the daughter of a banker. Roland and Rose are eager to make the party a success as the girl's father holds the banknote to the hotel. Yeah, no pressure. They're upset with Blanche for spending time with her boyfriend, Ernie, rather than helping to plan the party, and Rose accuses Blanche of abandoning the hotel and believes that she can't handle the responsibility, but they later reconcile. Rose is starting to sound a lot like Dorothy. Am I the only one that notices this? Yeah, I see it. Episode 15, Heartbreak Hotel. Taylor, a man who Blanche was attracted to in college, visits the Golden Palace. Taylor had previously chosen Blanche's college roommate over her, so Blanche tries to win him over when he visits the hotel. But he ends up falling for Rose. Did we mention he's played by Dick Van Patten? Because that's important. Yeah, you just did. Blanche secretly sabotages one of their dates, allowing Blanche to take Rose's place with Taylor while Rose does hotel work. Rose learns Blanche sabotaged the date and eventually confronts her. Later, the women go on a date together with Taylor, who upsets Blanche by continuing to express his attraction to Rose. Blanche later realizes how many female friends she's lost due to her competitive behavior for men. Rally! So she and Rose reconcile. Meanwhile, a relationship expert known as the Love Doctor is holding a couple seminar at the hotel, and Sophia wants to participate, so she convinces Roland to accompany her. <laughs> Later, she reveals that she wanted Roland to participate in the seminar so he could work out issues with his own love life. And now, we come to episode 16. Senior Stinky learns absolutely nothing about life. 
Roland, Brad, the hotel pool maintenance man, and Chewie make up the members of a successful volleyball team. Roland, the team captain, wants to win a volleyball championship trophy. Chewie, who's a poor player, is upset about always being left out of the game by Roland. Rose later joins the volleyball team, with Roland agrees to let Chewie play as well. However, Rose and Chewie play poorly. Rose decides to become a volleyball cheerleader instead, but when Brad injures his ankle, Roland decides to put Chewie back in the game. However, Chewie loses the championship for the team, and Roland criticizes him for it. They later reconcile after Roland apologizes. Meanwhile, in the B-plot, after Blanche meets with a bank employee and flirts with him, Rose and Roland makes her realize that her behavior toward men could be considered sexual harassment, prompting her to try to act more professional with men. Lawrence Gentry, the owner of an adjacent hotel, complains that the Golden Palace parking lot occupies a portion of his hotel's parking lot. Blanche dresses in a business suit and tries to remain professional while meeting Gentry, despite their attraction to each other. They devise a solution by having the two hotels share parking spaces, and they later decide to begin a relationship. Playing the role of Lawrence Gentry. Legend. Rich Corinthian leather. De plane, boss. De plane, de plane. Yeah, I think we know who it is. Ricardo Montalban. Again, legend. Legendary. Legendary status. Oh, speaking of legendary status, we have a legend and a legend in the making in the next episode. Uh, and I, no, I'd even say there's two legends in this episode. Two legends and a legend in the making. It's debatable, but I, I'd say we have two legends here. Yes. It's called Say Goodbye, Rose. The Golden Palace is preparing to hold a stand-up comedy competition. Blanche's son, Matthew, visits the hotel with the announcement that he's temporarily quit his job as a stockbroker so he can try stand-up comedy. We should mention that Matthew is played by a young Bill Eggball. So yeah, I think he's going to make it. I think so. Matthew intends to participate in the hotel comedy show, but Blanche does not want him to do so as he believes he's made a mistake by quitting his job. She eventually decides to support Matthew's career choice. Meanwhile, Rose falls in love with Bill Douglas, a hotel guest who looks identical to her late husband, Charlie. Hey, Mike. You know who plays Bill Douglas? Yeah, the person that I said was a legend besides the one that's coming up. The one and only Eddie Albert. If you don't know who Eddie Albert is, well, I'll forgive you. But he's best known as uh, Oliver... Oliver on Green Acres. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, Rose, they fall in love, a hotel guest who looks like Charlie. After dating for a while, Rose reveals to Bill why she initially became attracted to him, and he decides they should end their relationship with leaving. Rose only loves him for his appearance. Rose denies this, and she does not want him to end their relationship because she will feel like she's lost Charlie again. Because Charlie died suddenly, Rose did not have a chance to tell him goodbye. The placator, Bill has Rose tell him goodbye as if he were Charlie. Meanwhile, Sophia's friend sings a song during the comedy night to cheer up Rose following the breakup. By the way, we should mention Sophia's friend, undefeated, legendary status, George Burns. 
And if you don't know who George Burns is, clearly you're probably 25 years old. Come on. Google it. We're not here to educate you. Go watch Oh God or Oh God, You Devil. Seriously, that's what you need to check out. Next episode, episode 18, You've Lost That Lemon Feeling. The Golden Palace holds a grand reopening celebration to improve business. A local news team has been invited to the hotel to cover the event, and Rhodes has arranged for food critic Gerald Davenport, played by Eric Christmas, to review the hotel's restaurant. Chewie despises Davenport for previously giving him a bad review. When Davenport is found dead, Chewie worries that he may have accidentally put rat poison in Davenport's meal. Uh-oh. The news team arrives and the body is hidden in the kitchen's walk-in. When city health inspector Mr. Tucker arrives, Mr. Tucker, by the way, played by Stephen Root, who is a few years away from both King of the Hill and News Radio. And don't forget office space. Yeah. I believe don't, don't you have us... my stapler. Yeah, don't take his red stapler. Yes. Mr. Tucker arrives unexpectedly at the hotel. Blanche distracts him while Rose stuffs the body in a large suitcase to covertly transport it elsewhere. I'm surprised they didn't do a weekend at Bernie's myself, but... Rose abandons the suitcase in the lobby in order to distract the news team. Roland, unaware of the body's location, delivers the suitcase to the hotel guest... Mr. Mitchelson, played by Bill Morey, who is also a legend, and by the way, owns a chain of travel agencies. Roland, Blanche, and Rose sneak into Mr. Mitchelson's hotel room and retrieve the body. However, they're forced to drop the body down a laundry suit when the news team approaches. Ultimately, Mitchelson and the news team see Davenport's body. The hotel employees pass him off as an unconscious drunk man and promote a new designated driver program for restaurant customers. Mitchelson recommends the hotel to his fellow travel agents, and the employees later learn that Davenport died of a massive coronary because sitcoms. Episode 19, The Chicken and the Egg. Blanche begins dating a cattle rancher named Bobby Lee, who wants to marry her and have children with her. Despite her age, he tells her about in vitro fertilization, but the process would require an egg donor. Simultaneously, Blanche is visited by her daughter Rebecca in time for Blanche's birthday. Rebecca reluctantly agrees to be Blanche's egg donor, despite wanting her mother to act her age. Later, Blanche dreams that she, Rose, Sophia, Roland, and Chewie are pregnant. Yes. Uh, well, I will slow that down. Later, Blanche dreams that she, Rose, Sophia, and Roland... And Chewy are pregnant. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Upon waking up, Blanche realizes she can't handle pregnancy and motherhood again. She meets with Bobby Lee to end the idea of having children, but before she can, he reveals that he's discovered himself to be impotent. Oh my. Nevertheless, they agree to continue their relationship. Meanwhile, Sophia borrows Rose's car, but it and Sophia's purse go missing. Sophia believes they've been stolen, so Roland teaches a self-defense class to Sophia and her elderly friends. Later, Roland and Rose learn that Sophia valet parts the car with her purse inside at a hotel next door. Probably the one owned by Ricardo Maldonado. Speaking of legends, you know who played Bobby Lee on this episode? Uh, I was going to say it, but you go for it. Dirk Godier. Jaime himself from Get Smart. 
Well, also, again, from previous installment, uh, when things were rotten, he played Robin Hood. Yep. Episode 20, A New Leash on Life. Blanche begins dating a traveling greyhound dog trainer named Charlie Sardisco, who's staying at the hotel, and Rose bonds with his greyhound. When Sophie's friend Gladys breaks her hip, she gives Sophia her ticket to be a potential guest on The Price is Right. Synergy! Sophia needs money for a plane ticket to reach the studio in California, and after talking with Charlie, she decides to bet on dog races. Later, Rose is upset to learn that Charlie will euthanize his dog if it does not do well in an upcoming race. Talk about reality writing the script. Because, again, Betty White, real, real big on animal rights there. And we'll be talking about that next year when we talk about Betty White's The Pet Set. Mm-hmm. Rose steals the dog and tells Blanche that 50,000 greyhounds are euthanized every year for Billy to do all in races. Horrified by this, Blanche ends her relationship with Charlie while Sophia ends her sports betting. Charlie takes the dog back, but later agrees to let Rose adopt it out after it does poorly in a race. Sophia skips her trip because of lack of money, and she's upset when she hears her name being called during a broadcast of The Price is Right. Meanwhile, Roland's mother, Louise, visits the hotel and begins spending time with Chewie, giving Roland the uncomfortable impression that they are dating. Roland is relieved when Louise reveals that she does not like Chewie that way. By the way, Charlie Sardisco, played by Ken Kerchival. So, we have Ken Kerchival from Dallas. We have The Price is Right. We have a uh, a Greyhound story, and we have Betty White. This episode just seems like the kind where everything just comes together, doesn't it? Oh, and you should also add uncredited were Bob Barker and Rod Roddy. Yep. So you had everything there. Episode 21, Pros and Concierge. Roland confides in Chewie that a more successful hotel offered him a job, but he turns it down because of his loyalty to the Golden Palace. Chewie tries to convince Roland to use the job offered as leverage for a raise out of Blanche, but when Roland refuses, Chewie begins to drop hints to Blanche on Roland's behalf. Blanche is unable to give Roland a raise, but wanting what is best for him, she fires him, believing this will force him to take the better job. That leaves Roland unemployed and forced to take a humiliating job running bicycles at the airport while the Golden Palace staff struggled to contain the chaos without him. Eventually, Blanche rehires Roland and manages to cut enough quarters to give him a small raise. Meanwhile, as a cash-saving method, Blanche gives Sophia a vacation that she chooses to spend at the hotel. Not much of the way of guests here. I'm guessing this is a bottle episode. Because I'll tell you right now... Dick Godier, Ken Kerchival, and Ricardo Montalban, and George Burns do not come cheap. Yeah, very true. Episode 22, Tad. Blanche's mysterious monthly trips to Chattanooga, Tennessee, after staff guessing that there's a special man in her life, until her mentally disabled brother Tad, played by Ned Beatty, shows up unexpectedly at the hotel, having taxied from an institution in Tennessee. Rose and Sophia are shocked that Blanche never mentioned her second brother after all these years. The staff goes out of their way to be kind to Tad, with Rose forming an especially close bond that causes Tad to declare he is in love with her. Blanche, upset, plans to spend 
Tad back to his institution until Rose confronts her and accuses Blanche of being ashamed of Tad. Blanche is forced to admit that she's felt ashamed of Tad all these years, but watching Rose's tenderness toward him makes Blanche decide that she wants to be more involved in Tad's life, inviting him back to the hotel for more visits in the future. Who helped write this episode? I'm guessing it's a name that I was actually going to mention at the end of the episode. I'll spoil it. Mark Cherry. That Mark Cherry. Yeah. And actually, I was going to mention him at the end of the episode because he wasn't just a writer of this episode, but also for the entire run of the Golden Palace, he was a supervising producer. And also he was a producer uh, for most of the last season of the Golden Girls. And uh, he also did uh, writing on a number of episodes of the Golden Girls. So it wasn't like this is entirely new to him. Right. So in addition to being a producer and supervising producer on the Golden Girls and Golden Palace, he wrote four episodes of the Golden Palace, including obviously this episode, but also he wrote uh, Marriage on the Rocks with a Twist, uh, Seems Like Old Times Part One, and Miles We Hardly Knew Ye. So he did it all. And of course, this was before he did uh, something called Desperate Housewives about 15 years ago. Yeah, what that be. And while we're on the subject of writers, I just found this out. Uh, Two of the episodes, Runaways and The Chicken and the Egg, were written by a guy named Mitch Hurwitz. That name sounds familiar. It should. He created Arrested Development. That's where it's from, yes. So needless to say, uh, people went on to much bigger and better things uh, especially in the early to mid aughts. Oh yeah. And I think we should mention to the audience, if you don't know who Ned Beatty is again, you're, you're probably uh, under a certain age, maybe under 40 or 35. Or you've never seen the super bad movies. Well, I was going to say deliverance, but, but also he made plenty of guest appearances on game shows in the late eighties, Hollywood squares, win, lose or draw. But, but yeah, if you saw his face, you'd know who he is. Yeah, and also, by the way, Ned Beatty played Lex Luthor's henchman Otis in Superman 1 and 2. Okay, next is... Uh... Oh, wait! I just remembered that Ned Beatty was in the 1990 Captain America movie. Would you pull the car over, please? I think I'm going to be sick. What? Would you please pull over the car? I am going to get sick. Okay, all right. Hey! Captain! Are you okay? You... you, you, Hold it! No, wait! Don't leave me out here! And there's your not-MCU connection for the evening. That's right, we gave you an MCU connection earlier in this episode, and we're giving you a non-MCU connection in this episode. Alright, two more episodes, and this one is a big one. Well, it starts as a big one, and then it kind of goes crazy. Here it is. It's called One Angry Stan. And of course, Herb Edelman reprises his role as Stan Lee's Bordak. 
Blanche and Rose are stunned to learn that Stanley's Mordak, Dorothy's ex-husband and Sophia's former son-in-law, is dead. The three women try to work through their complicated feelings toward the man. However, Stan secretly approaches Sophia and admits he faked his death to avoid prison for tax evasion and plans to flee the country. Yeah, that seems like a Stan thing to do. Sophia tells us to Blanche and Rose, who assumes Sophia's in denial. After Stan's funeral, he secretly visits Sophia a final time, with both admitting that in spite of difficulties, they loved one another. His exit leaves Sophia in tears while Blanche and Rose assume she's finally accepted his death. Meanwhile, in the B-plot, Roland and Chewie are excited to plan a bachelor party, booked at the Golden Palace, and scheme to hire an exotic dancer. The two men learn at the last minute that the bachelor party was really a bachelorette party, forcing Roland to provide the entertainment. Yeah, non-cheetle dancing. Brody, no! And now, the last one. Sex, lies, and tortillas. Spring break at the Golden Palace. Roland discovers a college kid who has been sneaking friends into his room. Chewie tries to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. And Rose's granddaughter, played by Brooke Thais from Just the Ten of Us, checks into the hotel with plans of sleeping with her boyfriend. That's it. That's the show. Yeah, there's nobody really big on that last episode, except, like you said, uh, Brooke Thais from uh, Just the Ten of Us. One of the daughters. You remember that show? It was I a spinoff of, of it was a spinoff of Growing Pains. It was actually a very funny show. Hey, did you know that one of the kids on Just the Ten of Us, Matt Shankman? Do you know what he's best known for today? Oh, 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 me, me. Oh, but I want Mike to guess though. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I have no idea. Okay, Chico, do you want to tell him what Matt Shankman is best known for today? He is the creator and head writer of WandaVision. I should have figured there's a WandaVision connection here. Yep. (laughs) So think about that. The kid from Just the Ten of Us directed the sister of the Olsen twins. While we're on that subject, life after this series, Cheech Merritt went on to Nash Bridges. Don Cheadle went on to, of course the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Betty White went on to be a frickin' legend. Mark Cherry and Mitch Hurwitz went on to bigger and better roles. And interestingly enough, Betty White was signed on to join the cast of the only surviving show of this CBS block, Bob. CBS wanted a second season, but I'm looking at the ratings. It started off with 13.0 million viewers watching then it's steadily dropped until seems like old times part two where it got a bump out of 11.1 and then just a gigolo and then it continued to drop again until say goodbye rose which of course had george burns in it then it went back down and it never recovered. I blame that Friday night time slot. They were really, really, really trying to take out ABC and it just was not happening. Yeah, because this would have been what? This would have been the year, uh, either Dallas's final year or uh, it would have been one year earlier uh, up to 91.90. No, Dallas would have already been done in 91. This was actually 92.93, the final season of Knott's Landing. Okay, well, still... They, they had something they uh, they needed to plug in. They needed a show to, to keep people watching CBS on Friday nights. And, and it probably would have, this wasn't it. 
Yeah, I probably would have done better if they scheduled, like, major data designing women into it instead of having the Golden Palace lead out of it. But there you go. Because if you remember, it was the Golden Palace, then Major Dad designing women, and then Bob. And the rest of the CBS Friday Night lineup is just absolutely, uh, with the exception, of course, of Picket Benson's, absolutely unremarkable at any... In fact, I don't think this is on the list. I'm about to add this to the list if it's not already there. What is it? Johnny Bago. What the hell is that? It's about a guy in a Winnebago with Peter Dobson, Rose Abdu, and Timothy Stack. Oh my god. So this was like in what, 92, 93? Yes. So this would have been airing around the same time as the final season of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Weird, ain't it? Yeah. And as we all know, Timothy Stack played Parker Lewis's dad on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. We know. Good friend of the show, by the way. Special shout out to Timothy Stack. Yeah, he knows that Parker can't lose. What can I say except anybody want to, uh, you know, bring proper closure to this series? It ran one season too long, kind of, sort of. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. Maybe ran one season too long, and interestingly enough. Lifetime included it in the Golden Girls package. Oh, yeah. It reran occasionally on Lifetime. Not that often. I only remember seeing it rerun maybe two times. Uh, Thank heavens my sister was like the biggest Golden Girls fan in the world because she'd actually let me know, oh, Golden Palace is coming on. I had bigger, more important things to do at the time, specifically like solidifying my, my teaching career and and, and important stuff, unfortunately, but it, it's a nice, interesting side note that it did get re-ran uh, uh, on Lifetime. I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't made an appearance on Hallmark or, or TV Land, where it, it seems like you can't not stumble upon a Golden Girls rerun. And unfortunately, it's not available. I don't believe it's available anywhere. So it's a classic case of Keep circulating the tapes, kids. Yeah, and if you look on YouTube, many episodes are there. I don't know if they're all there, but there's a healthy assortment. So, the Golden Palace. What they wanted was a continuation of a legendary franchise with legendary actresses and, of course, an Emmy Award-winning formula. Unfortunately, what they got was... Just a thing on TV. Yeah, but again, it, it was a good show. It was a, a solid uh, continuation of the franchise. It's just, like, like I mentioned, I think the uh, the time slot is what killed it, first and foremost. You're not going to make any friends going up against TGIF, I'm afraid. And you're not going to make any friends going up against Urkel. Nope. Hey, that reminds me. Would Urkel's reaction to the cancellation of Golden Palace been? Did I do that? <laughs> oh, hold up, guys! Before we sign off, we have to play this one clip from Conan. Oh yes, yes we do. Yes we do. Go ahead, introduce the clip, Greg. Okay, this clip is from 2019. It's Don Cheadle on Conan talking about his memories of Golden Palace. But you did make 
another show which was a spin-off. That's right. Of the Golden Girls. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. hardly anybody yeah, remembers I this. For that. <laughs> Andy, did you did you audition I did, for I it? I did. I did. It was right when I first came to L.A. It was like. One of my first big auditions. Right. And, and which uh, old lady were you going to be? Because <laughs> <laughs> B. Arthur wasn't in it, so maybe that was... But if I, I was a chef with an accent, yes. if I remember correctly. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. know who got your part? No. Cheech Marin, which is Cheech obviously... Cheech Marin got your part. You can. <laughs> Damn it. How could you and Cheech Marin be up for the same part? Uh, you'd be surpri- Don right. and I have probably gone up for yeah, the same part. Yeah, we've gone know? up a bunch of things. Yeah, uh, that's tragic. Uh... <laughs> It's a Golden Girls spinoff, and I had forgotten about it, but it's called, we found an ad, it was called uh, Golden Palace. It's, of course. And it was, it was the other, B. Arthur wasn't in it, but the others were in the it. The other ladies were there. And we have this picture of a real ad. There and you I go. Love, <laughs> I, I, I love your expression. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> At the girls' hotel, the customers aren't the only ones with reservations. Yeah. And I love that you've gone, I mean, you've proven yourself as an actor 10,000 times over and won every award you can get and then you had to do this. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. What am I going to do with these ladies? Yeah. I, what that was may your have been my idea. What was, what was your character? I was Roland, the hotel manager mm-hmm. and uh, they all moved to Miami and bought a hotel and I came with the hotel, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> I have found this, this isn't a joke, this is true, I have found it's the jobs that you don't get early on that save you. Or the jobs that don't work out. Right, you know right, mean? yeah. That, that it's whether a job you didn't get or something you desperately wanted that right. you thought, this is going to be my chance, and it doesn't work out. And at the moment, you think, uh, you know... No, that's it. That's that it. Right. It's not yeah. going to happen for me. And then look at everything yeah. you've done since that maybe couldn't have happened if that show had gone nine years. Yeah, and, you, and it's so true. You never know. And it's like the, the, the roles that you took that, you know, you see people go, oh, you were in that, and you're kind of embarrassed about it. It's like, that day you got that job, you were like... Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You yeah, knew that yeah, you were yeah. going to get your rent paid. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. And you were excited about it. Exactly. Okay. So, since this is not a video podcast, you did obviously not see the image that Conan and Don were talking about. But it is in the background of Zoom right here for me in my background, obviously. And this is obviously only people seeing this right now are Mike and Chico. So, I want. Chico to read what is in the background of the picture behind me right here on Zoom. So Chico, can you describe the background that's behind me? All right, you have uh, in the front you have Rue McClanahan, Betty White, and Estelle Getty, who are just ready to take over this hotel that sort of looks like the Carlisle. If you've ever been to Miami, you know what the Carlisle is. And in the back you have Don Cheadle and Cheech Marin going like basically like, who are these three white people? And the best part is Don Cheadle's got his hands to his face in the ad, like Kevin from Home Alone. Yep, it's classic. All right, now the ad. Please read what it says. I will tell you right that at the Golden Girls' hotel, the customers aren't the only one with reservations. <laughs> It's a classic play on words, folks. I want to say that this whole thing was funny. I just don't think it was the Golden Girls. It was like the Golden Girls light, but it did have some moments. Uh, I, I mean, it definitely was not. 
Yeah, this is the thing I like about the Golden Girls and the Golden Palace is that it wasn't afraid to go there, if you know what I mean. If you remember the episode of the Golden Girls where Rose banged the guy to death. Oh, yeah. That's a classic episode. And by the way, that is an episode that we will cover on this podcast eventually. But in the meantime, watch Dashiell Driscoll's A Very Special Episode on Funny or Die that covers that particular episode of the Golden Girls. I will say what Dash said. This was the 15th episode of the Golden Girls. And they went there. They went hard. <laughs> hey, do you know what I learned in that episode? <laughs> do you want to guess? Uh, uh, I, I have a guess, but I'm, not, I'm afraid I might. I'm afraid of saying. <laughs> Betty White has something in common with Megan Morshack. Because they both <laughs> a guy to death. Oh, I was thinking of something dirty. I'll tell it to you after the show, which I got to end by saying, if you want to learn more about this show, you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com where you'll find all of our previous entries, our minisodes, our live shows, and of course, our uh, social media feeds. Remember, we are on all the social medias at It Was A Thing On TV. And of course, you can stream all of our episodes wherever fine podcasts are streamed. All right, so next week. Now, this week is going to be different because we have three episodes on tap for next week. Now, the reason we have three episodes is because back in October when Mike was in the hospital, we had 99 and 100 recorded and in the can. But we didn't have them released yet. And we were kind of worried about what was going to happen when Mike was in the hospital. So we were, while we were in that panic, we decided, you know, we're going to record episode 101, which was the Punky Brewster at the 1984 NLCS episode, as a tryout to see how we would do without Mike and just the two of us being Chico. And that episode went real well. And also the second episode that week was supposed to be the Ernie Anderson episode. So we decided to postpone that episode because we didn't feel like it would be right since Mike was a key part in that episode with all the stuff about Ernie Anderson in Cleveland with Gilardi and everything. So we just recorded episode one-on-one that week. But that left us with an uneven amount of episodes. So we decided that we would finally correct that for this week by recording three episodes to get us back to an even amount of episodes each week. So our first subject next week revolves around a certain date in March. Now last year I jokingly said that we were going to cover this topic in March of 2021. So I figured this would be perfect for the week where we were supposed to do three episodes as it fits perfectly with the calendar and this is a particular subject that we love very much and also is the 15th anniversary of said subject. So that will be the first subject we'll cover next week on It Was a Thing on TV. And the second and third episodes next week have something in common. Yep. And I'll tell you something. It's pretty interesting 
that these two shows, the other two shows that we're going to cover next week, basically happened around 10 years removed from each other. Oh, yes. These were two different adaptations of two popular shows, and you're not going to believe this, people. But both versions were absolutely terrible. Both were terrible. And, and, yeah, and actually one was a U.S. adaptation of a foreign show, and the other was a foreign adaptation of a U.S. show. And the second adaptation was created by someone who is well-regarded in the television industry. Uh, yes. I'm not going to say the name, but I'm just going to bring up two shows. Sherlock and Doctor Who. Gee, what do those two shows have in common with each other? We'll let you think about that for the week, but in the meantime, we will see you next week with three more things on TV. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. Wow! Thank you for being a friend! Travel down the road and back again. (laughs) Your heart is true. You're a and a confidant. If you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Mrs. Gruber, what happened to Jamie? I don't know. He was such a good kid. He just became obsessed with the Golden Girls. His schoolwork suffered. He started carrying a purse. He wouldn't go upstairs in our house anymore because he was always pretending it was a ranch house. And the way he started wearing his hair and clothes, I I didn't even recognize him anymore. I recognized him. He looked exactly like Betty White. Him and his friends made these videotapes to send to B. Arthur. I think they thought she was going to put them on the show. I don't I tried to tell them that it was reruns. <laughs> this is the home video Jamie made with his friends the day of the accident. Girls, I had a wonderful time tonight on my date with Tom. He's a retired pipe fitter. Oh, yeah? How does pipe fit? Ma. Back in St. Olaf, we had terrible plumbing. I remember one winter old Sven Gunderson tried to take a shower and he was frozen into a solid block of ice. Did he die? I don't know, but he looked beautiful in the St. Jorgen's Day Punch Bowl.